And welcome to the April 2015 edition of Behind the DM Screen, the show where three experienced DMs get together and talk about their games and give each other some helpful advice in a way that is hopefully very entertaining to our listeners. We have a special guest tonight because, unfortunately, Andy could not make it. He's having some uh, technical issues. But uh, a, a, a little a, a, a little, a little known DM who you may or may not have heard of is, is joining us as, as a guest tonight. And uh, you may know him as Newbie DM. Hello, hello. Yay. Yay. Hi, guys. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for coming. Yeah, thank you, and you're very welcome. Well, uh, as everyone knows, the format is we each get 15 minutes, and uh, Mike Shea is first tonight, so your time is starting right now. Uh, I have a bunch of different games I can talk about, so I thought I'd throw some teasers out and let you guys decide which ones do you, you wanted to hear about. Uh, do you want to hear about my Princes of the Apocalypse game that I'm running on Sunday? Do you want to hear about the game last night where a group of level 9 PCs fought a level 18 death knight? Or do you want to hear about me running D&D for 4 and 6 year olds? Um, I want to hear about your game last night because I know the players made 10th level because I spoke to my friend. Yes. yes. George. They yes. made 10th level. I also... So I made a... Uh, yeah, so, so that's my uh, uh, Rise of Tiamat game. That's the one where we've continued on with the uh, uh, the whole Tyranny of Dragons campaign. Uh, the group is level 9. They have their flying castle. Uh, I made the flying castle costly. It actually cost them a fair amount of money per... Uh, I think it's uh, 250 gold a day to operate it, uh, which includes three wizards who have to continually make sure that it stays frozen and that it doesn't fall apart from flying around. Uh, they also have to feed it magic items to keep the energy up so that it can actually float. Uh, but they already threw the black dragon mask in, and that's enough to let it operate for 50,000 miles without having to stop, I think, or like 5,000 miles, a big long time. Um, they figured out, they, I think they hired a guy, Bronze Hammer, uh, who is a, um, he's like their timeshare operator and he knows nobles who would love to spend a week flying around on a flying castle to impress people. <laughs> so they will, he'll hire them on. So when they go to cities, he'll go find nobles who are willing to pay. And then they roll randomly to see how much money they made. And many times their, their guests are complete pains in the asses. So it's not uncommon. Like, all right, here's this giant, you know, uh, um, uh, dragonborn fighter who's standing there and he gets a tap on the shoulder and it's the guy complaining about the fact that they're in clouds and he was supposed to be on this flying city and now they're in the misty forest which is all clouds and they can't see anything and this is not what they paid for and they also rolled ones on their on the roll to see how much money they got so they're not getting nearly enough money for these people who are complete pains in the asses um so that that's you know <laughs> i don't think the group was particularly excited about this arrangement but they're starting to get into it and it's like, you know, what's our Yelp review going to be if we throw these people overboard? You know, it's a, a common issue they have. Um, so they've gone to the Misty... So they, you know, they, they completed the whole Horde of the Dragon Queen campaign, and now I'm running almost completely off the rails. Uh, Rise of Tiamat, on my, you know, upon further reading, doesn't have a whole lot in it 
to get you from whatever it is, 8th level to 16th level. Uh, so there's a pretty big expectation you're going to run a lot of your own stuff. And so I decided I'm going to run a lot of my own stuff. And uh, one of the things I wanted to do, I'm reading the uh, R.A. Salvador novels of Neverwinter, and I played the Neverwinter uh, P- PC game. And I like the idea of the Red Wizards of Fae and their Dread Ring. So I thought, wouldn't it be neat if the Red Wizard... Um, uh, so I've been reading a lot of the R.A. Salvador novels, and I was playing the Neverwinter game, and I thought that a Dread Ring, a, a Red Wizard of Fae Dread Ring, would be kind of a cool thing for the players to get involved with. Uh, so I had the Red Wizard refugees build a Dread Ring inside the Misty Forest so they could resurrect dead elven soldiers, dead elven warriors, and turn them into whites, and then use them to to uh, uh, you know add them to the Dragon Queen's armies that are that are building up. And um, so uh, I, I didn't have any model for this, so I just built my own and said, okay, there's basically four major areas of this Dread Ring. Now, the Misty Forest is all beautiful. There are elves all over the place. And the, the, the Dread Ring is actually hidden. It's actually you know, covered by a strange illusion. So even the elves don't know that it's there. But everything's kind of weird. Um, and the PCs got aware of this by walking in and fighting... Uh, uh, corrupted trents, like these big trents that normally are guardians of the forest, but are now twisted and evil. And they were they found this old like root under the ground, this deep root that was all kind of pulsating with negative energy and necrotic energy. And they realized like, oh, that's bad. Let's follow that. <laughs> so they they followed that, and they found you know they saw the uh, an, an elven necropolis, like an elven a giant elven cemetery that that where the, all the elves heroes went. Their heroes and kings are all buried there, and elves. An elven cemetery is a lot different than a normal one because their lives are so long. You know, the cemetery might have not a whole lot of people, but mm. they're very old. And um, so they they broke through the illusion and saw what it really was. And they saw that you know there's a great big pit where they dug deep into the earth. There was a um, a shrine that they had corrupted somehow, and had these like bolts of black energy striking it. Uh, they saw a um, like a crypt in the center that seemed to have some activity and they saw a giant mausoleum built into the mountains behind the cemetery that had some activity. Um, so they went to the, um, crypt or they went to the shrine and found a gateway to the shadow fell. And inside there, they saw this big, powerful structure, like through the gateway, they could see that on the other side was this, you know, really ominous looking structure. Um, and they, uh, I forget what they fought there. Whites, I guess. Whites and uh, bone nagas. And they beat all those guys up and oh, closed. I, I love nagas. Yeah. I'll, so I'll get into my issues. Yeah. My issues with the nagas. Well, but, I, um, I don't know if I love fifth edition nagas. Well, I, I just like. Yeah. <laughs> sure, yeah. So I, I like I like fifth edition nagas when the players are like level six. I don't know that I like them when the players are level nine. Yeah. Um, so they fought those guys and beat them. Uh, then they closed the gate. The gate would not allow uh, mortals to travel through. Only undead could travel through the gate. Mm. So they shut the thing down. And then they went out and went to the center. This was the last night, the uh, last night's game. They went to a central um, uh, graveyard where they found a elven antihero that had been enshrined there back when he was well loved. But he kind of made sure that the elven nation stayed strong by murdering all of the human settlements around the area. And he was a really bad guy. But he was entombed as a hero, but now he's, he's become infamous from his, from his actions. And the Red Wizards are trying to resurrect him. And uh, so they fought four whites and two mages that were reskinned necromancers. 
or reskin necromancers that were reskin mages, reskin, hmm. uh, like level eight or nine mages. Uh, and they fought those guys for a while. And every time they would kill one, it would feed into the energy of resummoning the the antihero, the elven champion. And um, in fact, one of the necromancers, they they beat them into submission and said, "I don't kill them." And then they all kind of ran away from him and the, or her, and she killed herself, and it poured her energy into the elf into the antihero. Hmm. Um, but they managed to stop the last necromancer from doing so. Uh, but not before the antihero awoke, and it was a death knight, a, you know, level, I think they're CR 17. Okay. And the only power he didn't have available to him because he was resurrected early was his major fireball thing that he's got. I forget what it's called, like Soul Orb or something nasty. And all of his other powers he had, and he was really tough. Like, he dropped the, you know, there was a fighter and a barbarian and a rogue that all got right on top of him. And with three hits, he knocked down both the fighter and the barbarian, like dropped nice. them to zero. In fact, the barbarian had that, like, when you drop to zero, you instead drop to one and you're still standing. And he got ripped off because the Death Knight hit him, dropped him. He went to one instead of zero, and then he hit him again and dropped him to zero. <laughs> so he's like, I didn't even get to do anything, right? So he felt kind of ripped off. But I was like, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. The Death Knight's got multiple attacks. And he's not going to let you just stand there, right? Like, So this it, is it, one of those cases where they... That player should, I mean, that that they should feel ripped off. Like that's part of the challenge of that fight, right? I, I guess, mean, yeah. Or maybe you, you hang know. on to that, right? Maybe yeah. like now's not the time to use that power right. if it's a usable power. Just go ahead, and drop to zero. Yeah. I just mean, um, you know, normally you don't want the players to feel like they got ripped off, but in well, but in yeah. that particular instance, it actually is showing them how much of a challenge this this is. Yeah. Um. Right. Right. Uh. Oh, and so then, yeah, just to real quickly get through the rest of the thing, because I want to talk about that particular problem, like the Nagas and the Death Knight, and, mm -hmm. and basically the balance of monsters against PCs at higher levels, or, you know, like level 10 and above. Um, they fought some vampires. Oh, there was, they fought some vampire spawn, and it turned out the corruption of the Dreadring was being fueled by an elven noble, a actually the prince of the kingdom, who they had turned into a vampire and then... Uh, staked him so that his blood was continually pouring into the heart of the forest mm. and creating this corruption that was spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading and spreading. And because this vampire is continually regenerating and continually creating more blood that's continued to pour into this heart. Mm -hmm. And he just wanted to die. Like he, he didn't, you know, but his blood was being used to fuel vampire spawn that they had to fight. The vampire spawn were all like former Thayan assassins that were now, you know, vampire spawn. Um, so that had kind of an interesting twist to it, but the battle itself was basically kill the vampire spawn and then decide what are you going to do with the prince. And they said, well, we're going to have to kill him because he's a vampire. And what do you, you know, we're not going to return him. Like, Sorry, here's your son. He's a vampire now. <laughs> you know, and he was like, he was really screwed up. Like he, you know, he had like silvered tattoos all over his body to keep him under control. And you know, he was staked with silver stakes all of all through his body to kind of keep him continually bleeding. Um, so that was a, that was kind of a fun, straightforward encounter. Um, and then they did that, so they stopped the corruption, and the next week they're going to the mausoleum, and I don't know what the hell's in there. Uh, it's kind of fun to not really know what's in that, those places till they go. Um, yeah, so it's interesting, because I'm now starting to see what 5th edition looks like when PCs are higher level. Like when they're getting ninth and tenth level, and mm -hmm. it, it's not unexpected that the power curve is really steeply increasing. Maybe not at fourth edition rates because the math isn't increasing really crazy, um, but 
you know, the enablement, like they, those guys, you know, that group with about five or six PCs, they can easily dish out 130 damage in a round. Let me ask you something. Do you, yeah. do you use the um, average hit point or do you, or do you max out the hit points or do you roll it? What, what do so you I cheat. Um, if they, if the monsters lose initiative, which is most of the time, suddenly their hit points get a lot bigger. You know, so you don't like, default. You don't default no, to the maximum. I, I do not. Well, I've you know I probably have default. I've probably done that way more often than I've let the hit points go straight. But a lot of time it has to do with well, how does the pace of the battle feel? Um, so sometimes I'll start with max, and then suddenly the the ones that are later on weren't at max. Do you ever do the reverse? Like, do you start at average and then slide and them then up? increase it? Yeah. Uh, probably. I don't know. You know, it's one of those things where like, you cheater! Of, I'm fudging. Cheater! I, fudge, I fudge a lot, yeah. You cheater! Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, most of the time with this group, because their damage is so high, I will, I, I'll, I'll max it out, or I'll give them a lot lower. Like the mages, like I actually took a pen and fixed the mages that are in the monster manual, because I think they have like 38 hit points in their CR6, and they're just going to get killed, like immediately. So, because mages are always the first target. So instead, they have like 90 you know, I <laughs> by maxing the hit points and giving me a decent constitution, they now have way more hit I points got, than the books. I says. got ripped on 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 Reddit <clears throat> because I posted something saying that the the advice we got in the DMG to build monsters mm-hmm. versus the monsters that are yeah. in the manual mm-hmm. don't really match. Actually, you're, yeah, you're not the only one that's I've seen that. I mean, um, um, uh, Rob Bodine, who runs the Gamer Syndicate, who's one of the two Gamer Syndicate guys around here, he. Um, he saw the same thing. He's like, you know, I tried making a monster with the monster creation rules, and they're totally different than the ones in the monster manual. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't. The math doesn't add up. Like, right. it doesn't add up. It's it's very off. Yeah. And Reddit didn't like what I had to say, and, and <laughs> well, well, certain I, I people think, on Reddit. Yeah, did, right? <laughs> I, I think what they did was they created the creatures in the monster manual with by feeling and trying to make them feel old school and with something new and. And then they play tested them and figured out if they were fun or not. And then if they were, they said, "Okay, this is how it is." And then when they had to write the DMG and they were trying to give advice on how to, you know, how to create creatures, they wanted to provide some sort of a standardized type of thing. And right, it yeah, doesn't. I, it's not how they made the creatures in the monster manual, so that it doesn't match. Hmm. Think, well, I, was I, told, think, I, I was told I couldn't read. <laughs> Well, yeah, you're not wrong. Like, if, if there's so many good examples that you can look at, where certainly the easiest one is damage output. If you look at the CR of a monster and then look at the damage output of that monster, you know the, the one we were looking at is the Oni. Right, the Oni isn't doing nearly the damage that they look. Well, you gotta like just look at the hit points. The the, the hit points yeah. expected versus what's in the versus it's the monster not, Yeah, and it's and I think it's exactly because of what you guys are saying that like. The, the way they designed – I think the, from what I remember, and I, they, there's some article I read where they talked about how they did it. And what they basically did is built the monster without a CR at all. They didn't right. say, like, a Beholder is going to be CR 13 or whatever. They just said, let's make a Beholder, gave it hit dice, gave it powers, gave it stuff. And they said, okay, what does this feel like? You know, does what what – looking at the power output of this creature, generally what CR is it? And that's why you get this sort of asymmetric, you know, asymmetric statistics for the monsters – um, like in the case of the Oni, it might not be that powerful, except that it has, you know, I think it has improved invisibility, fly, and cone of cold. And when you start to throw those things in, well, now it's, you know, it ain't CR2, you know, it's... Yeah. Well, that's what they told me. They, they, they're, they're, what they said was, well, you're not looking at the resistances, and you're not looking at this and that, and that adds to the CR. 
Yeah. Well, and I'm like, yeah, but still, the thing still has a lot less hit points than what it's supposed to. Right. I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't buy that explanation because yeah. Yeah. giving something advantage on a on a stealth check or whatever isn't enough. Right. Just to justify. Right. Yeah. Three levels of power. Uh, yeah, yeah. Please. Come right. On. Yeah, yeah. So or, this... or even something as 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 relatively powerful as invisibility. You know, when the players are or when the PCs are above like fourth or fifth level, well, pff, you know, big deal. I mean, yeah. you know, invisibility doesn't. You know, it's 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 equivalent to yeah, advantage on a stealth check. It doesn't really help you. Right. Yeah, so I think you know we're I'm I'm discovering I was I, I read an email today a friend of mine sent me an email talking about his experiences with fifth edition he's become kind of disillusioned by fifth edition overall because he's saying like you know I'm seeing a lot more people where the optimized PCs versus the non-optimized are so stark that there's no good way to balance encounters at all you know there's there's just no good systematic way to to kind of make sure that everybody's feeling the proper challenge when the PC power is so different, you know, so divergent, even at the same level, um, that the optimize, you know, and and there's many, you know, I've I've seen many, many, many different kinds of optimized builds. There's it's not like there's one broken class. It's not just moon druids anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there's these like specific weird things, and I think it. My experience is that it affects organized play more than it affects home play, because home play you can just have a conversation about it and say like you know hey, this is weird. Like last night the conversation we had was about uh, uh, counter spell. And I feel ripped off when, you know, if there's only one or two mages, or particularly if there's one mage that's fighting the PCs, and, the, and one PC is just on counterspell duty and ensuring that that mage never gets a spell off. Mm-hmm. And then they just beat it. You know, it only takes two rounds to kill it, so you only have to worry about it twice. Um, and PC players feel ripped off when there's multiple mages that are counterspelling them. So, like, we're, we're already discussing at our table, like, let's make sure that counterspell always requires a roll. Instead of, you know, you can automatically counter spells at third level and lower. And, you know, it's, that, that idea of, like, people getting ripped, you know, feeling ripped off because they're, you know, they're having, I forget, there was something we were just talking about. Yeah, about the, 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 um, the power the barbarian had oh, yeah, where exactly. you could knock down right. a one, yeah. So there, there, it feels like there's a lot of those kinds of powers that they mm-hmm. kind of like, oh, you know, nope, whatever you got's negated. And I and I think that's the case with, like, legendaries, but we haven't even really seen that yet. The idea of, like, oh, yeah, you know, you just, you know, he's going to use his legendary resistance and you don't get to do anything. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, it's like, well, the opposite of that is he doesn't have legendary resistance and you held him and now he's dead. You know, right. Leg- you know big, big dragon gets killed right away. So... Um, so yeah, so I, that, that, that was that, your timer, but but I want to hear about the thing with the, the the nagas and the or was that it that it no well so the, so the naga issue was sort of the same thing that like a nag I you know I wish I brought the book down with me yeah, um, I don't have mine in front of you so bone naga is a cr four monster okay and it has um a pretty decent array of spells. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it will drop like a you know it'll drop really fast if it's hit. And so I, I put a couple bone nagas. I, th- I think I made a balanced encounter. I used the regular rules, and I made a balanced encounter of four whites and two bone nagas. And I made the environment a little tricky to reach the bone nagas. And the bone nagas were I mixed up the spells that the bone nagas had. They didn't just have the spells that were listed, but they had you know other wizard spells too. Right. And you know the general consensus from the from the PCs were, wow, those guys are pretty easy. You know, and I think I was. Well, that's what we talked about that last uh, last episode. Remember where where I had set up that whole encounter, and the party you know went through it like 
yeah. a hot knife through butter. Yeah, and and I don't know that like my I'm I'm beginning to feel more and more like there's not a good scientific way to recognize how hard a fight is going to be because so much is going to depend on circumstance and and roles and yeah. like did the PCs win initiative? Did the monsters win initiative? Like I think that Death Knight could have kicked all their asses, mm-hmm. you know, if in a wrong situation. I was pretty confident he wouldn't. Mainly because I saw them drop in 130 hit point trends without any issue. So I said, well, yeah. if it's a 180 hit point Death Knight, you know, they're going to be able to drop it, if, assuming they don't all die. And the only thing that would have killed him, because the, the big fireball he's got is a 20d6 fireball. It does average 70 damage. Yeah. And that's enough to wipe out all the PCs that were there. They don't have those kind of hit points. Right. Um, you know, so, I'm not even trying to understand how to build encounters. I'm really using one of those tools that's out there. I'm yeah. Using, I'm, I'm using. Um, Cobalt uh, Fight Club. Yeah, from, so that right, Cobalt Fight Club was what I was looking up the Naga. Because otherwise, I I can't even. I'm not even trying. I'm just using that and, yeah, and yeah. to hell with it. So the thing, <laughs> yeah. you know, that I, I was I've been thinking a lot about this since the last episode because we did have such a long conversation, um, and I left most of it in the in the podcast. Uh, so if anybody listening wants to go back and listen to the last episode the last like 15 minutes are mike and i talking about <laughs> the encounter building rules as set up in the dmg and how they don't really mesh with the way they're, that they're the, hard to do and they yeah, don't work anyway yeah and so the thing is though <clears throat> so and to your friend who said he was disillusioned um, or starting to become disillusioned by fifth edition because of this sort of weird difference between players who are playing a super optimized build uh, mm-hmm. of a character and players who aren't, who are just kind of playing a character. So here's the thing about that, is that the whole the whole thing about not being able to balance the encounters and having a hard time um, doing the... Um, not being able to really gauge the, the encounter power, that's a very old school thing. I mean, right. that that really yeah. harkens back to first and second edition and, and basic D and D because it wasn't about the balance; it was about how the players are using their characters to get around the problem, whatever the problem is, whether it's a puzzle or a fight or a creature or a layer that they have to sneak through so that they don't have to fight because they know they're going to get their butts handed to them. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all of that stuff. But the problem is that the game was created post third edition, and third edition brought in the idea. And people are going to probably scoff at this, but third edition really brought in the idea of we should uh, balance the challenge that is being, you know, put forth in front of the characters. And then fourth edition took that to the max, right? And so everybody thinks of fourth edition as the way to balanced edition. It made everything seem the same. You know, that's one of the major complaints you ever hear about it. But honestly, that came about in third edition when we codified every single rule ever, and we did that so that we could create a more balanced way to design encounters. And it turns out that that's also not perfect, right? I mean, fourth edition wasn't perfect. Third edition wasn't perfect. I know I'm going to get like flaming emails now from saying that. And, <laughs> and you know, fifth edition isn't perfect. But the, the thing is that it was written now in an age when we've sort of the major games that are out sort of have this, this milieu of trying to be balanced and balance the encounters. Mm-hmm. And that's not really how old school D&D was. They weren't balanced, 
you mm-hmm. know? And so fifth edition is trying to skirt that. It's trying to walk the fence, right? Like it doesn't really have save or die effects. Like you don't really, there aren't very many th- cases or situations where really your life and the life of the character depends on one roll of a d20 that mm-hmm. is a true save or die effect. So we don't have like that kind of old school imbalance, but we do have the old school imbalance of honestly, you can't use the encounter building rules to figure out whether an, a particular encounter with a particular number of monsters with particular CR ratings and with worth a particular amount of XP is actually a quote unquote correct challenge or balanced challenge for your party. It depends too much on what kind of characters are in the party, whether they're getting good rolls or bad rolls, whether they've been rested, whether the, you know, I mean, there's just so many things. It's impossible. And and that's very old school. So that actually doesn't make me feel disillusioned with 5th edition at all, because I think that's part of what they were going for. But mm-hmm. I think the misunderstanding comes in, or the, or the the dissonance, the cognitive dissonance comes in when you read the rules and you try to play the game like a modern D&D, and it doesn't doesn't you know those are the parts of the modern D&D that everybody likes they mm-hmm. think they didn't like yeah. it so much in fourth well, that, edition and, but, right i've been you know. i've been kind of accepting that um you know that, again i i you know i keep harping on the word the asymmetry of fifth mm-hmm. edition that like there are these weird spikes and sharp hooks and you know rough bits and and that's kind of the way D&D is and sometimes those rough bits are the fun part like you know, I think Merle's talked about this early on. The idea that Fireball is that much more powerful than anything that you remotely get at second, you know, for second level spells, right? Um, it is okay. Like the you know Fireball being that good is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's it's boring to have this really static, you know, linear uh, progression of perfect damage output and perfect armor class stuff. The idea that like, well, what's the point in going out of your way to buy? plate if it doesn't boost your ac so high that now people you're regularly fighting have a really hard time hitting mm-hmm. you like that's that's right that's the fun part it that's the be... that's the point of getting plate mail <laughs> do you right. think that's yeah. part of the reason why things took so long in fourth edition because everything was so balanced and so so in line with each other that i don't think but... that's why it took so long um i think what fourth why fourth took so long um, was probably because they had a, a longer number of rounds before things were supposed to die, and they gave a lot of people way more actions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think overall there's a lot more, you know, many more people have a lot more that they do with bonus actions and stuff like that. But probably the speed has to do with uh, the fact that things take two rounds now instead of four. Well, I think I think that the speed of fourth edition combat had a lot to do with the tactical, you know, that every single square that a that a miniature that represented a character got to move was highly codified within the rules. Mm-hmm. You know, and so many powers relied upon, you know, how far somebody can move and what they can touch when they're moving and if there's their difficult terrain and yada yada yada. And that takes a lot of brain power. It doesn't seem yeah. like, you know, those three seconds where the player had to decide if they're gonna move or attack first, you know, mm-hmm. that doesn't seem like it takes so long, but when you get five players and you've got ten rounds, three seconds each, suddenly you've just extended that, you know, not counting that's just deciding on the move, you know. Now right. you've got the minor and the and the standard action too. And oh, and did they, you know, is there a reaction? Is there, you know, I think the action economy was very – I mean it, it was set up to be slow and meticulous and very tactical and 
Yeah, and, and, and balanced. And, and yeah, I think balance honestly did have a little bit to do with it because it was meant to be balanced where you would never, almost never fight a creature that was such a low power level that you would just, you know, go through it with no problems. Mm-hmm. Right. That was almost never the case. Even with some minions, they, they might go down easy, but you couldn't hit them on a miss, and a lot of them had um, some pretty good damaging, you know, when you get up into the higher levels, they could do some damage. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and one one nice thing is I I ran two pretty decently you know decently big fights with six players and tenth level PCs, and we still got it done. You know that plus mm-hmm. some story in three hours. I think and right. and really the one with the Death Knight was essentially two encounters because they had to fight two Necromancers and four Whites at first, and then a Death Knight, and that fight was still maybe an hour, probably under. Yeah. And that was pretty tactical. Like, I had a battle map, I had minis, I had all the, the stuff, and it was six PCs. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So one thing I'm not complaining about, the speed is still pretty good. Um, yeah, yeah, and I think we're just going to have to get used to power level stuff, you know, or, or to, to, to figure out what the right threat is and look at look at things and, and judge. And one thing's for sure, like, you know, if you're going to have one creature versus more than four PCs, that CR, you could double or quadruple the CR and it's not going to matter. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling they could. This group could easily kill a ancient dragon. It would not surprise me at all if they could, if that dragon didn't have other protections. I've talked more than enough. Yeah, it's uh, your. Um, let's see, uh, five, six. You're eight minutes over your time. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, so let me. It actually, um, I'll go ahead and start my time. Sure. Okay. So. Uh, so here's <laughs> so my D and D campaign actually hasn't met since before the last time we talked. Um, that group is having a lot of uh, scheduling issues, um, but I still have my my group that's playing Castles and Crusades uh, in Planescape, and uh, and I have another I have another group that I'm playing uh, online. I'm playing with uh, over Skype with a, a group of guys uh, playing another campaign in my 11 pillars setting which uh, which just started and has had a couple of sessions and it's a lot of fun um so i'm going to talk about both of those uh but the, the first one's long the longest because i had a, a sort of problem but it's not a problem with a system it's a problem it's a player problem but it's well, so let me just talk about it. Um, so I think I said on the last episode that I was doing some prep for for the Planescape campaign, and I was going to run a campaign that I've never run before, and it was going to be a little bit different for me because I don't usually run published stuff. I, I take from published stuff, and I take ideas, and I peel off certain things, and I add, and I mix, and I do different things and make it my own, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I was going to run the the Great Madrone March campaign, uh, for second edition, and it was a relatively long campaign, and the players really wanted to play in Planescape, and blah blah blah. So I got these players together, and uh, I told them, you know, I'm going to run this campaign. Have any of you read it? And no one said that they had read it. And I said, well, if you have read it, please don't read it again. You know, don't don't, don't spoil it for yourself, and and don't go online and look up anything. And you know, it's a relatively you know well known, and there's like probably a Wikipedia page and all that. So don't go read that. I don't. You know, the whole point is for you to play through the planes because you you basically go to several of the different planes, and it's about the experience of learning all of these things in the planes and all that. That's a Monty um, Cook. Monty Cook wrote that. Yeah, yeah, and um. And so uh, 
uh, I had said to them, you know, so none of the characters are from the planes. They're, they're all going to be primes, except for one who is a, a, a a play, the player himself is relatively familiar with the plane, so it was a good thing for him to be uh, from. He, he's from Sigil, and all the other players sort of get transported to Sigil at the beginning of the first session, and and that's fine and everything. So we we go through, and now this is the group that runs for twelve or fourteen hours at a time. We basically start, and then we go until everybody's either too sleepy to stay awake or too drunk to actually remember anything. So, because um, most of the other guys uh, drink beer. Um, while we're playing, so uh, so we're we're at the end of the first session, which is the first session in Planescape, and it's been about twelve hours, and um, about one of the players had to be late. He he missed the first three four hours of the session because he works on Saturdays, and uh, so he came. But he came in and he made his character real fast because Castle and Crusades is really easy to just make a character really quickly. And we integrated him into the game, and then we ran for the next five hours. Or and you know we had a break for dinner and all that kind of stuff. And then we get to the end of the game, and um, we we sort of end the session, and and we're we're sort of packing stuff away and figuring out okay who's driving home, who's going to stay, who's you know doing whatever. And uh, the and someone asked me about the game and and I said well I'm running I said I'm running this this you know published because a couple of the guys aren't on they don't really go on Facebook or anything and we have our own Facebook group and that's where I had mentioned it and um uh, and I had also told them an email you know uh but they they're luddites they don't really go online at all and um and the, one of the guys asked me I said oh I'm I'm running this campaign you know it's 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 this published campaign whatever and I said but uh, I'm 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 taking some liberties with it but I'm running it pretty close to to what it was because I think it's really interesting and it it gives you a chance to go see the lanes and experience different things and whatnot and uh and so <laughs> and so the one player who had come in late he looks up from his paper that he was looking at and he goes oh Okay, and so now I have to tell the audience, spoilers. So, although, you know, the product's 20 years old, but still spoilers. So the guy looks up, and he says, oh, he says, is this the one where the god is actually dead, and so you guys have to figure it out, and then you have to go find out who killed him? <laughs> and I was like, expletive, expletive, what the hell? <laughs> um because the whole point – so here's the thing. In a normal group – so there's a couple of things about this. The first thing is I didn't think fast enough to just like brush it off and be like, no, that's this other whatever campaign. Don't worry about it. Well, that's not the one we're doing. Um, I was flabbergasted because I had made such a point of telling all of them, you know, here's what I'm running, but don't go look it up. If you know about it, don't spoil anything. Don't tell anybody anything, you know, and – um and I was just – I was sort of caught off guard that he just blurted it out in front of everybody. Hmm. And I was, was he, like – Was he just – was it a mistake or was he being a jerk? He He's one of the people who doesn't go online and he never – like he didn't pay attention to the email I sent. And he didn't hmm. – he did he did get the email because it also had you know some other information that he had already obviously. He just didn't – he wasn't thinking about it. But the thing is that – so that in, – in a normal group, maybe that wouldn't be a big deal. But with this group, here here's the thing is that – this particular adventure, the way that, that it's run is 
the whole point of the first entire half of the adventure is for you to have to go to all these several different planes, learn about them, learn the power structures, meet some people from some different factions, figure out how things work in in the Planescape setting, and kind of earn your, you know, earn your sort of, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps and earn a few levels and earn some power so that you have some respect in the planes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that you also know how to conduct yourself because, you know, it's not always about just, you know, knocking in the door and, you know, beating in some skulls. And, in fact, if you did that, you know, even if the creature that you were fighting was was much weaker than you or whatever, you might surely kill it. But, you know, then you might have an entire, you know, legion of devils after you or something. So, it's it, you know, you have to understand the politics of the system and, and whatnot for everything to work. And so the, you're supposed to spend, you know, a lot of the time doing that. And that's the whole point of the first half. But the the other point of the first half is to follow this mystery and figure out what exactly is going on. And then you learn so much that at the end when you get the big reveal that, oh, my God, this god is actually dead. I didn't even know you could kill gods. We need to know what happened. It's actually a surprise, and you have some impetus to go forward. But if you know that from the beginning, it kind of takes away the entire point of the first half of the adventure – Hmm. Um, and they're they're not powerful enough to go do the second half of the adventure. Mm-hmm. So, and with this group, see, in a normal group that might not be so bad. People could suspend disbelief and they could just be like, okay, well, we'll pretend we don't know and whatever. But this group, they might say that. But I know how this group works. They're very, very experienced role players. They know a lot about the game. They know a lot about how to do things and. They will make sure that they exploit every single advantage they have in terms of knowledge. And just the fact that they know that that's what's going on, they'll make sure that they focus their questions, they'll focus their investigation so that they get exactly the right clues. And that may not sound like a problem, but the problem with it is then they get only exactly the right clues and they miss out on the whole other half of the point of the thing, which is to go through and and actually find these wondrous places and this wondrous information and you know what I'm saying like the the point of Planescape for this particular campaign and and the the way that I you know um the way that I presented the campaign to the players was here's the deal you know here's what's happening and here's the point of what we're doing is that mm-hmm. you you don't know anything about this it's really good you don't know anything cuz most of the fun of this the first four or five levels of your characters is going to be learning all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And with the one statement by that one character, he basically took that away from all the other players. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I had a moment of rant, and I ranted uh, to some friends, and I posted a message on RPGGeek.com, <laughs> which I, I often go to. It has a lot of uh, really cool people on it. Um, and we batted ideas back and forth and I already kind of knew how I was going to, cause a- after a day went by, I sort of uh, figured out what I needed to do and I knew kind of what I needed to do. Um, what was that? Well, I- I'll tell you in a second. So, okay. cause we already had our second session. Um, but here's the thing is that, you know, um, it turns out with me, I'm a very deadly DM and I'm a very low, I- I'm, I'm not a re- I don't give a lot of rewards, um, so the players, the, the, the characters tend to be, you know, not well stocked with magic items and, and, uh, not well stocked with, uh, um, with lots of boons, you know, uh, and, and I, I run a very deadly game and I, you know, I roll out in the open and, and I, um, 
I don't pull punches and I don't fudge things, and they know that. Um, and that's not a judgment on anybody else. It's just the way I do things. Um, and so, you know, the thing is that when I when I create my own material, it's way more deadly than anything published. And so I I told them that I said, well, I said, you know, he he just ruined this first half of the campaign. Um, and so now I'm going to steal a few things from it, but I'm, I'm going way off the, I'm just going to not even bother to use that campaign anymore. I'm, I'm just going to go, you know, make my own thing. And, you know, you must know from the other two campaigns you've played with me that whatever I create is way more deadly and way more challenging and, and way more likely to end in PC death than anything that is published, uh, for the appropriate level, you know, players, PCs. And... <laughs> And I think that scared them, <laughs> so they're like, "Oh crap!" So now uh, the guy who made that statement has the nickname "Game Ruiner." <laughs> and um, <laughs> so here's what I had happen: um, I said that when, because what ha- the right when he had at the end of the first session, uh, the reason that they knew something had happened and the thing that clued him in on it was they were in Automata, which is the gate town to the plane of Mechanus, which is the clockwork plane. And the Madrones, that's where they start their march. And they, at, and they, so that they come, the Madrones come out and they're like destroying everything in their path and all this stuff. And the, the, PCs ask around, the party asks around, and they find out that the march is early, and they find out all the regular stuff, and um, and that's when you know, and then and I said, okay, we're gonna leave there, and you're gonna, you know, you know, are you gonna stay in Automata, or are you gonna try to go get the portal, uh, you know, back to Sigil? And they said, oh, we're gonna go back to Sigil. I said, okay, um, and as that's when I said, okay, well, you're walking, and now we're done with the session, and we, and that's when the guy lifted his head and said, oh, is this the one where blah blah blah. And so what I said as the DM, after I thought, I said, okay, well, his character said that. He had a premonition, because his character's a monk. So I said, and the the way that he was called to sigil was he had been in a a deep meditation state for several days. And 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 somehow he he was transported to sigil. And um, I said, you somehow have received a prophecy and and you just blurted that out when you saw these madrones marching so uh, what's going to happen is and now if you're my player stop listening to this right now (laughs) any players in my games ever anywhere stop listening um and so what's going to happen is the the god heard him say that and um now they know that they have a connection out of their own home plane because you know nobody can none of the gods can really touch sigil because they don't really have a way in however now they have a way in because they have a conduit through this pc um and it's not that he's possessed it's just they there it's a it's a weird door thing you know it's it's D &D, i can do that right so (laughs) um they get back to sigil and they're walking and so now we're in the second session they get back to sigil and they're walking towards the the grand market because they want to go to the marketplace and spend some of the money that they got as a reward for finishing their last uh quest and they start they start feeling these huge earthquakes and when these earthquakes happen, some the buildings, some of the buildings, just crumble to dust and literally turn into the most fine dust particles ever. It's it's this very weird phenomenon. But when they look around, they see that the earthquake is not just happening around them; it's happening in several different parts of Sigil, and uh, that happens for three or four 
hours, you know, there's a there's a 10 second earthquake here and then an hour goes by and then there's a 10 second earthquake over there and then an hour goes by and then there's a 10 second earthquake and then and um and that happens for 3 or 4 hours and at the end of that that whole sort of procession of earthquakes hitting and being stronger and stronger um sigil actually splits in half. So huh. sig- sigil's a donut, right? And mm-hmm. so usually you can walk around the entire torus. It's a, actually a torus, not a donut. Um, and it has split as though you they cut the donut in half. So now there's two U-shapes. Instead of a whole circle, there's two U-shaped pieces of sigil, and they're moving apart from each other. And mm. now you can't get from one half to the other. Mm. So the lady's ward is separate from the clerk's ward and the hive. And... And so they were actually going to go to the marketplace and then go up to the ladies' ward and try to get the chant to figure out what's going on up in the ladies' ward because that's where all the people with knowledge apparently live. That's what they think anyway. Um, and now they can't get there. So now they're now they're on a mission because they're trying to find a door to, to do some plane hopping to try to get somewhere so that then they can come back out on the other side of Sigil because now they can't just walk to each side of Sigil. So it has made their lives much, much harder, and now people are wondering what the heck's going on. Nothing like this has ever happened. This is completely unprecedented. Where's hmm. the Lady of Pain in all this? Well, she's she's in the Lady's Ward, and the rumors that they heard right, be- right before the whole thing split apart, the rumors they heard, oh, and nobody had seen, you know, the, the creatures that live in Sigil that go around repairing things and building things that... I don't know how to pronounce it. Debus or Debus, however you, mm-hmm. what, whichever those are. I call them Debus. So the Debus have not been seen in like three or four weeks. And that's extremely rare. And now all these earthquakes are happening. And mm. now Sigil has split apart. And the rumors are that the Lady of Pain has been walking around the Lady's Ward for the past several days with a very, relatively speaking, somber look on her face. Uh, and not she's not been communicating with anyone, and no one has seen a Davis around anywhere. As so, opposed to her usual cheer. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Right? So it's you know I mean, but these guys really you know there's only one of the PCs is from Sigil, so he would be the only one that would know. Well, that you know that kind of that weird rumor doesn't really make sense, right? The other guys are all like, oh no, she knows something's wrong, you know. <laughs> right. So uh, yeah, so that's what's happening. So um, they. Uh, they're trying to find a way across, and you know, so it's, it's. I mean, it's going to turn out fine. It's just that they might get killed now <laughs> instead of uh, me following a, a written thing. I'm actually doing. Let my me own ask thing you something. Yeah. Do you know much about, like, when you went in? How, how much did you know about Planescape and Mordrons and all that stuff? Um, well, so that was one of the reasons why I had to rant about it was because I didn't know hardly anything. And I'm one of the few people, apparently, who's a D&D fan who never really played much of, like, Planescape Torment, the the computer game. The video game, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, that, um, that's it's funny you mention it because I was going to recommend yeah. it, that you watch videos on YouTube yeah. to sort of see what Sigil's uh, – how they present right. it and well, what so, Mordrons sound like when they speak. Right, right. Well, so what I did was um, I actually did, I did a ton of prep for the for the actual campaign, and I I oh. have a I mean I have a whole bunch of Planescape books. I read a whole ton of books, and I did all this prep, which is one of the reasons why I was so mad that he kind of you know ruined the campaign. Um, there's a there's a book I can tell you about that helps you with this problem. Oh yeah, what is it? About being lazy. 
Uh-huh, yeah. No. Letting go I, of all also, the crap. The thing was that I, because <laughs> we were playing in Planescape and I didn't know a lot about Planescape, I wanted, for yeah. my own self, I wanted to be prepared. So, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. It was leisure reading, right? I mean, me reading yeah. a D&D book is total leisure reading. Um, and I didn't spend, you know, an extreme amount of time. I didn't spend that much more time than I would normally spend making up my own yeah. campaign. It's, it's different right? to have an encounter ruin vice an entire campaign. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. Um, so, and, you know, if, if it had been something I had created that was ruined, it's easy to, you know, I, I can easily roll with the punches, but that, and that's honestly, so this is where the conversation, is, why I'm bringing this up, that's honestly the reason why I don't usually run published items, because I feel like I'm constrained by the published item, because I can't easily respond to something that the players do or something that the PCs do that's sort of not contained within the format of the of the campaign or of the written published work, which is that's why I usually don't use them because when I'm just in my own homebrew world or when I'm running my own sort of, you know, I can fly by the seat of my pants because I know so much about my own setting and I know, you know, I prep some NPCs and I, I know what the sort of, enemy factions are and i can completely do a, an off-the-cuff role-playing with any of those um but when you're running something published it's it's really hard for me anyway to do that um and so you know to have to have a whole bunch you know to prep a whole bunch for for a written campaign and then to have it messed up it, it was uh, it was quite the shocker for me but it did remind me of just exactly why i often don't run games like that because it's just too hard for me i'm much more of a flexible person i need the, the flexibility and when i try to run something published i feel like i'm not flexible and i can't be flexible because i that's not what the publication says and that's you know it's it sounds i know how illogical that sounds as i say it but that's just how it ends up playing out at the table mm -hmm. so you know but yeah, yeah I did. I did look into the. I did look up some a bunch of stuff about torment, and I and I watched a couple of like two or three minute videos and stuff, and I I sort of saw some things, and it was it was pretty interesting. Um, and I fa in fact I think I picked it up on on GOG .com when they had a sale a couple months ago, but I honestly never even uh, turned it on and did it because I just don't have time. Uh, if, if that time that I would spend actually playing it is better spent prepping uh, and reading, so. Um, yeah, so that was what that story was. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, but so now, but see, now I'm, now I'm running sort of, uh, my own campaign again. So now things are way up in the air and kind of off the cuff. And I know what the overarching story is and I know who the overarching big bad evil guys are, but I don't, I'm not constrained by, uh, written so events. How are you going to put Sigil back together? And did that, <laughs> and did that affect the rest of the planes? Um, well, it hasn't yet, but if and, it, and what's outside? Yeah, if they keep if they keep uh, if it, if the two halves keep going far far enough apart, it, each half will have not have enough power on its own to resist being overtaken by uh, some evil power that wants to take it over. So and it's possible that it won't ever come back together. More and, importantly, the, the the half where the I'm sorry to interrupt the, the half where the Lady of Pain is in. Uh -huh. I mean, that's going to dissolve into chaos, I imagine, at some point. Um, she's sort of she's sort of this watchful eye that right. that people fear, right? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's interesting. Yeah, that'd be fun. So. What if there's a new power on the other side? Right. right? Well, there's a vacuum over yeah, there. Yeah, there's a vacuum the, right the now. The gentleman of pain. And so, and here's and here's the thing, right? So they're kind of screwed either way because if they if the if the party's able to bring sigil back together, 
it's going to take a long time regardless, right? It's not going to happen like, oh, you went through a portal and everything's fine now. Woo. It's, it's going to take a while. And in that time that they're apart, a second power will rise in the other half. Or it'll be taken over by one of the gods. So that when the pieces come back together, now there's a problem. Because now you have, a, it's still a separate sort of thing because the two sides are being ruled differently by different powers. And now you're going to have extreme upset, right? Or they could defeat what, you know, figure out whatever, you know, caused this problem and bring Sigil back together. Then they still have the same problem. Or if the other, if a god comes in and, and takes over in, in the weak time in Sigil, then now you have warring gods and that's a problem no matter how high a level you are <laughs> that's a problem so yeah a lot of things could happen um the only thing we know for sure right now is that the the side that has the lady of pain is still protected by her she still can keep out however she does it she can still keep out any other divine entity but the other half who knows that's up in the air and that's the half the players are stuck on right now <laughs> so well they actually they found a portal and they went somewhere else but uh, they might not be able to get out of that half. They should be the ones that rise and become the... That's exactly what my I was afraid my players would say. The thing is that they could do that in an, another campaign, but right now they're level one players in Sigil. I don't think mm. they can take it over. They're going to have to get some levels first. So, but yeah, I'm right. sure I'm, I guarantee you they'll attempt it because this is this is the group where they took over the whole Pillar City when the when the regent went missing, oh, there's my timer. When the regent went missing, they uh, impersonated him, and then they set a plan in motion to take over the running, you know, running the pillar, and they and they succeeded, and they were only second level basic D and D characters. So, hmm. it's uh, yeah. I mean that that was a very intrigue heavy game where where they had lots of contacts and lots of uh, people that they knew in the different different factions that they could actually play against each other and whatnot here they're outsiders you know the majority of them are outsiders they don't really have a lot of contacts that they can use against e you know against each other right now so they're not in the same kind of position where they could do that although they will attempt it i'll guarantee it because that's just how they are <laughs> i love how she does it they don't even give her stats so even if you wanted mm -hmm. to use her you you can't she's sort of supposed yeah. to be this unplayable un yep. untouchable mm -hmm. yeah symbol she's not even divine you know like, no, she, like she, she's, she's she's not a god she's the, just an outside she entity sits outside of the deity yep. she sits outside of, of yep. it's very odd i never really quite yeah. understood where they were going to go with her if, if anywhere mm -hmm. i don't think they ever did much with her well i think you know that that whole thing grew out of the fact that they had to have some reason why sigil could be such a powerful place and not just be inundated with with powerful gods trying to take it over. And so they had to sort of create this weird, oh, well, the Lady of Pain, you know, keeps them out. And and then Planescape became really, really popular, and they had to keep going with that. I mean, I, I think, so part of it's good, you know, you get to sort of make up your own thing, but part of it is is bad, because how would that even work, you know? Uh, if you think too hard about it, it really doesn't make a lot of sense. Because uh, doesn't, doesn't it make, if she's more powerful than greater gods... What does that make her? Is she a primordial but, titan? Because I think isn't because I, I think is you she know. trapped in sigil? I think she's trapped there. She also I, I believe so. Yeah, she also cannot yeah. leave, but um, but that's okay because that's her home and she rules it and she keeps all the other deities out. But or all of the deities out. I don't say other because she's not one. But 
it just it yeah it it, it falls apart but you know uh, you know and then i go back to my well it's D D, you know it's D D, so it it's just it doesn't have to be explainable yeah so and you know if if my players end up trying to trying to figure that out, if the if the PCs sort of uh, um, per, uh, pursue trying to find out well what's the deal with the Lady of Pain and how is it that you know whatever and what made it fall apart and all that I have a ready reason why it got pulled apart and all that stuff I'm gonna not have a reason for her being able to normally keep the gods out because I haven't really established that myself in my own mind yet so. Uh, there is lots of good stuff out there, though, if you Google Lady of Pain. Lots of people have a problem with that part of it, but, you know, that that's by the time that question is, it might be asked, the characters are going to be such high level that then maybe I'll let them figure out an answer, you know? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> All right. So that's what's going on. So... Um, yeah, so Game Ruiner, that's, that's, uh, his new <laughs> Well, thank name. you, thank you, Game Ruiner. Yeah, yeah thanks, thanks, Game Ruiner. Thanks, Game Ruiner. Thanks, well, Game Ruiner. The, you've ruined everything. <laughs> you've ruined it. Well, the reason they, it's really funny, because they call him Game Ruiner, he's like, oh, crap, you know, and, and I was like, well, I, by now I'm over it. Like, I was mad for, like, you know, a tiny amount of time, relatively speaking. And then I was like, okay, well, this is okay, because now I can sort of mess around and do my own thing. Uh, but now all the players are like, ah, oh, crap, you know, Sam's gonna kill us all. He's just really, you know, because it's gonna be deadly <laughs> and you know the first thing that they fought was uh, uh in the last session was um a, a lowly little purple fungusy thing and it almost it nearly killed them all so <laughs> you know so there there you go and they're like oh man this is all this is all game ruiner's fault so <laughs> damn you game ruiner damn, damn you, you game, game ruiner, ruiner. curses <laughs> Yeah, so it re- it's really funny because it happened and I was really mad for like a half hour, like yeah. like on my drive home because I, I play at somebody else's house, one of the players hosts. Oh. On the drive home, I was like, I was really mad, and the, by the time Game I got runner. home, it's like it's like you know I'm really not mad because it actually freed me up to you know to not worry about what's published and to just do my own thing, which is right. what I like doing, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, I've I've kind of given up on the idea of um, being able to figure out. Uh, are, are trying to, you know, dupe players into, um, you know, that the idea that, like, they're going to figure it out, you know, even mm-hmm. if it's not a published thing. Yeah. Like, I've had them figure out everything, so. Well, the thing is, like, I, I wouldn't have minded if literally they had figured it out, like, a couple of sessions in. Like, I really wouldn't have. But having a player outside the game say yeah. like oh is this the one where and he was like like said everything like oh is this the one where this happened and that happened and then so and then and it's like dude in three sentences you just killed this entire campaign did you tell him that <laughs> game ruiner uh, uh, yeah but yeah, still i, I mean, about game ruiner. yeah but i but you know it, it really is true though i mean i so the thing is that it freed me up the whole reason i was going to run the campaign there were two reasons number one I had never run it, but I had read it before, and I always thought it would be kind of interesting to see what how it would play out with with players, because you know players always mess up everything. Um, right. Or PCs mess up <laughs> everything. Players. Right? Well, even you, you know what I mean. Like, what is it they say? Like, no, no, no plan. No, yeah. no amount of prep can you know survive um, can survive contact with the contact players. With the players. Yeah. But um, but the second reason was because I didn't know Planescape very well, and they really wanted to play in Planescape. I felt like it would be a better route for me to actually use something published 
because then it will sort of lead me through and they won't end up, you know, I won't have to know everything about every single plane all at the beginning because they might go anywhere because this would lead them through in a particular, relatively speaking, a particular set of orders. You know, they could go to these certain three or four planes first and then I can learn a lot about them and then, you know, um, so I didn't, I could, I could spread out the prep versus front loading all the prep. Um, right. but you know, it ended up being so much better. I mean, I'm just, I'm just a much better DM when I'm not running a published module. So it's, it's probably way better. So he's, he's game ruiner. And at the same time, he's probably game saver because it's probably going to be much more fun. <laughs> right. It'll especially be much more fun for me for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, so. All right. Well, that's my 15 plus minutes. So newbie DM, your time starts now. All right. So my game, and I'll, I'll preface this by saying that. 50% of the audience is going to hate me and 50% of the audience might like me after this. But so my game takes place in the Forgotten Realms. I've over, over the past few months, I've become a realms junkie uh, because I had the box set here at home, the second edition realms box. And I said, you know what? I have all this great stuff. Why don't I use it? Why is it sitting on a shelf? So I grabbed it. I, I digested it. I, I and I started using it in my game. And I decided to set my 5e game. I'm I'm running a 5e game on roll 20. I've become a roll 20, uh, a devout follower of, of the Church of Roll 20, and I'm playing on roll 20 5e. And I decided to set my game in the second edition era of the Forgotten Realms. Um, for you nerds out there, is it is set in DR 1368. That's the year that second edition is set in. And and I'm using that box set. So when I started the game, one of my players said, well, I want to be a Dragonborn. And I said, oh, how are we going to do that? Because there's no Dragonborn. So right off the bat. Right off the bat. Yeah, well, I want to be a Dragonborn. And I'm like, oh, oh, God. Man, okay. (laughs) How do I fit a Dragonborn here? Oh, okay. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, you're a dragonborn who, uh, during the Sundering, during the nebulous uh, events of the Sundering, when the world was coming apart, you got caught in the magic and you uh, went through a time portal and you landed in the year 1368. And you are now a dragonborn, a man out of time, uh, trapped in this world, and, and you're going to try to find your way back to your world. What happens? Uh through a few uh, circumstances, he ended up telling the story of how he traveled back in time to the Sage of Shadowdale, Elminster. And once Elminster heard that the the, the spell plague and the story of Mistra and all that good stuff, he decided, well, no, that, that future is never going to come to pass. So now the party is, in effect, on a mission to make sure that the events that led to the fourth edition version of the Forgotten Realms never happened. So it's kind of one of those uh, kill Hitler scenarios. <laughs> or or go back in time and make your mother fall in love with you accidentally. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so the party has, in effect, taken a mission for Elminster where they are trying to figure out what led to the spell plague, what led to the death of uh, um, Mistra, what led to the, the, the fourth edition, the, the, the planet's, combining all that stuff. All the 4th edition changes to the realms. Basically, Elminster is making sure that they never happen. So, right now, the party... I, I ran a module just to sort of get my feet wet and get their feet wet, and, and I sent... 
Elminster sent them to Candlekeep. Candlekeep is the largest library in the Forgotten Realms um, to look for a prophecy. Uh, to get into Candlekeep, you have to bring a book with you. You have to present a book at the gates of Candlekeep, and that's how they let you in. So I had Elminster send them to a particular wizard's tower to recover a book, and they were going to use that book to get into Candlekeep. So I ran an adventure from Dungeon Magazine called um, A Wizard's Tower, I believe was the name of the adventure. And it's an adventure written by Christopher Perkins for Dungeon Magazine back in 1992. And I converted before it Before he was DM to the stars. Before he was DM to the stars, he was Chris Perkins' dungeon writer. Yes. And he wrote some pretty cool adventures. And so I ran this adventure. Uh, it's about an imp who becomes jealous of his master's girlfriend and he blows up the tower and kills the wizard, blah, blah, blah. It was a cool little adventure and it was good. It was a good little dungeon crawl for us. And, and, and it was a perfect way to get, get them a book that there was a particular book in that tower. And that's what I used as a MacGuffin and whatever. They got into Candlekeep after a while. Now Candlekeep, um, in Candlekeep, things happened that, that, led them to believe that this is in fact a big uh, mission they're on because um, apparently now the Zentorim are involved and those guys are like the big bad guys in in, in this era of the Forgotten Realms. Um, so that's kind of where we are right now. They just left uh, they just left Candlekeep. They there's a the, the story with Candlekeep is that there's there's a prophet in Candle that, that that one of the I guess he's the guy that founded Candlekeep. His name is Alaundo, an old prophet. So he's got there's prophecies being chanted every moment of the day by the monks and and Candlekeep. So they went through the prophecy books to find anything about the spell plague, and they found a prophecy that was unfinished from Alaundo. So that made the the candlekeep monks say hmm wait a minute there's something happening here so there's uh, i found in one of the books one of the old forgotten realm supplements i found a little thing about some uh, an artifact called the skull of alaundo that if you found the skull of alaundo and you cast uh, raise dead on it and speak with dead and all this other stuff you could actually speak to alaundo so i said hmm let's let's find the skull of alaundo and speak to him about this prophecy so that's where they are right now. They're they, they're going. They're on their way to uh, Skullport, which is a kind of like a pirate cave town under Waterdeep. It's actually a really cool city, and they're on their way down there now because there's someone there who's going to tell them how to find the Skull of Alaundo, and that's where my campaign is up to this point. Um, the bad thing about this campaign is that I'm making it up as I go along, <laughs> right? Like, this is completely mm -hmm. improvised off the cuff. I know the general story idea, but the dirty little secret is that it's really, I'm really making it up as I go. And the one thing that scares me about it is that one day I'm going to hit a wall and not know where to go, right? Because I know kind of the things that have to happen. I'm not sure how I'm going to get there. I want to get there, but I'm sort of, I'm trying not to think too hard about it. I'm sort of because because if I start analyzing it too much, mm -hmm. I may I may say no. There's there's no way I'm going to get get to do that. So I'm I'm making it up as I go along, and so far it's been working out. <laughs> but uh, I, I'm scared of hitting that wall of the wall of suck, right? Where like, like eventually they're all going to look at you, and be like, 
You don't yeah. know what you're doing, do you? Yeah, you have yeah, no like, idea. You're like, oh. yeah. They're all going to look at me and say, you're pulling this out of you know where. <laughs> so, but not yet. That hasn't happened yet. We're, we're having fun with it. We're having fun with it. So, and and the one the one thing that people criticize a lot about Forgotten Realms is that there's a lot of NPCs that overpower the characters. Mm-hmm. So what I've done is basically, and you saw I mentioned Elminster. So basically what I did with Elminster was I got him out of the way as quickly as I could. Yeah, like on the first... In the first session, they met Elminster. Like, literally, that I think the first session, we met Elminster. Elminster found out, and I played him kind of like Gandalf in, in the movies in, in Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings. Kind of like a mumbling, you know, he mumbles a lot, and he's like, gets nervous, and he's... I played him kind of like Gandalf, because really, that's my frame of reference. I've never read well, the that's, Forgotten That's Re- pretty close. Yeah, I've never yeah. read the <laughs> Forgotten Re- Well, I don't read the, the Forgotten frame Realms. Of reference. I don't read the novels, so I don't really know how they play him in the novels. So all I had was... The only wizard I've seen is this guy, right? Gandalf. So I played him like that. And basically, once Gandalf found out what was going on, he had his own mission he had to go to. So he disappears. Right. Right. And we'll never see him again. You know, we'll see him again maybe at the end after everything's said and done. But he's wearing, he's doing something else, I guess, like at a cosmic scale or who knows what. I don't Mm -hmm. know, whatever he's doing. So it's really up to the players to. And then every now and then he'll pop in, like he popped in in Candlekeep. But he only popped in to convince the Candlekeep monks to help because they didn't want to help. And he popped in and got pissed and popped out. You know, like he comes in, <laughs> but he doesn't inter- but he doesn't interfere. Like he's not overpowering right. the characters. He's sort of there to drop, you know, drop this or that. But he's out of the way completely. So I'm mm-hmm. not really letting NPCs overpower the characters. Like this is really their story, and they're they've been thrown into this through no fault of their own. And we'll see where it goes. The other the other situation I have is that it's. It's doing something that I don't like to do, which it's it's relying on one particular player's story to sort of move mm-hmm. things along. And what happens if this guy dies? You know, like if this Dragonborn dies and well, there goes, you know, a big part of the story is that he wants to go home, right? Because he's, he's kind of like a man out of place here. Mm-hmm. He's the only Dragonborn in the world. There's another planet somewhere, presumably, filled with Dragonborn that he's never been to. He might want to go there, you know, because there's this twin planet, supposedly. We don't really know much about it. in my world. By the way, it's the Eberron planet. <laughs> ah, whatever, whatever nice. planet that is, that's Toril's twin. Because <laughs> there's Dragonborn there, right? So that's the planet that crashed into Faroon. What's well, in in the fourth edition? But so do you? Do you want? Do you want to know how I like? Because I'm yes. really comfortable running, uh, running like off the cuff like that. You know, it's not really off the cuff. I still do prep for each individual session, but but I don't like. It's not a railroad. I don't have. Here's what the three. You know, here's the here's everything that has to happen. Um, what I do is I because I'm I also have that that sort of fear in the back of my head about at some point they're gonna sort of look up and be like, uh, you don't know what the hell you're doing. And that that doesn't happen though. And here here's here's what I do to try to make sure it doesn't happen. When I do my session prep for each session, I I make sure that I address whatever they did last session. You know, I I address like what is the what I'm conceiving as the natural thing that's going to happen next. That's where the majority of my prep goes to. But what I also do is I do I do I have a th- I call it the three point plan, and and it's only three points because. What I do is I um, I figure out uh, three places that they could decide to go that would not be the natural sort of next step, but 
they could, based on whatever, think they might need to go there. Um, and in each of those three places, what I do is I, I get two NPCs that I name and I give them a personality, like literally one phrase, like, oh, this guy is, uh, you know, he's a spellcaster, but he's, you know, uh, he's very rude or whatever. And, you know, this guy is, is, a, is a reformed thief uh, and he's now the head of the guards. Boom. There, there's your two NPCs. That's all I do. And then um, – and then I uh, create one problem that would need to be solved in that town or place, whatever it is. And then I try to um, figure out in what way that could possibly be related to what they're doing right now. But that's sort of the last thing I do, and that doesn't have to necessarily be actually related because, you know, the whole rest of the world goes on even while that quest is being performed so um so i do that for three little towns or three places where they might go uh that is not the next most natural area for them to go to that is that takes up most of my prep and Mm -hmm. in that because i have that i always have you know two extra npcs in three different cities you know and so you know no matter what they do if they go somewhere or do something that's really weird i at least have something that I can riff off of right in front of me. And if you have just something to look down at and be, oh yeah, this is where, you know, Reynold lives. And, uh, and he's the guy who, who's a reformed thief. And, you know, he's going to notice that their adventurers right off the bat, when they come in, he's going to know that they're, you know, they're not just some podunk, you know, people looking for a odd job. They're really serious business. Right, and he's going to want to know where they're from and what news they have and what they're, you know, what what information they might have that he can use to his own benefit to trade information because that's how he retains his power, you know. Like just having that phrase about him being a reformed thief or whatever can trigger all of that when everything goes down. So it'll never seem like you're sort of caught with your pants down, you know. You're always going to have something ready for them. And it and it, sometimes it won't relate to the main quest or the main thing they're doing, but you got to be okay with that. Yeah, like the one problem I'm having is that it's not really, not really a problem. But the one mm-hmm. thing I'm, I'm facing is that the world is so vast and it's so open that they can tell me, "Oh, I, I want to go here. Let's check this out." And it happened to me this this yesterday, and my and I, I was mm-hmm. running last night, and they had some time to kill in Waterdeep, and they're like, "You know what? Let's uh." Let's go to churches. Let's let's go visit some temples and see mm-hmm. if, if what we can learn about some of these gods that are involved in what's going to happen, right? So like, well, I want to go to the temple of so and so. I'm like, oh, okay. Um, mm. <laughs> and then I, <laughs> you know, I have these, I have all these books on my iPad, and I have these books and you know some print, and I'm like, oh, give me a minute. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I start yeah. like leaping, quick search for the god. Oh, where's the temple? Oh shit. Oh, yeah, Waterdeep in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like it's, it's such a yeah, that's hard. Where, Oh, there's yeah. only one church. I actually, right. yeah, I've run stuff in Waterdeep, and it's tough. I mean, we have box sets about Waterdeep. Right. You know. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. we want to go to this you church. The, you can't get the whole city on one map. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. We want to go to this church, that church, and this church. And, you know, sometimes you see a write-up for a town, and it's got, oh, there's a temple to so-and-so and a temple to so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And you can do it on the fly, right? But not Waterdeep. Waterdeep has got, you know, 15 churches. You're like, oh, my God. Uh, there's five different wards of the city. There's this. Right. There's that. Jesus, what are... And and that's kind of that's kind of annoying to me because you know you don't want to railroad people you don't want to say well no uh, all the churches are closed <laughs> you know you can't do that right, right? so it it's a little challenging uh, 
this type of low prep game that I'm running because mm-hmm. it is kind of low prep, and it is set in such a big open world because I try to leave it as open as I can. Yeah. So I actually have a I have a, a technique for that too, and the technique is you got to have a list of names. Yep. And you need to have a list of ranks. Like, like, have a list of just a generic list of names and then have a list of ranks of, like, militia members and of, like, clergy and of, you know, royals or nobles or whatever. And then you've got a whole – you've got a lot to play with there. And you know what? If they want to go to some temple, you just say, okay, well, uh, you can ask around and, and you easily find out where that temple is. And you, you go there. And while they're trying to figure out, okay, well, when we go there, what are we going to – you can say – it's okay to say, hey, give me like three minutes to get the details of that, you know, to fi- you know, in my notes. Let me figure out where the details of that particular temple are. Yeah. And take three minutes and look it up. But, but, it, but before you do that, you've told them, okay, well, you can easily find that. It's not an unknown – like it's not a hidden church. I mean if it's hidden, then you got to do something else. But No, well, well the, it just so happens that one of the temples they asked for was a hidden church. Yeah. <laughs> See? Right? And, I was, and, I, and I was ready to say, yeah. oh, sure, you could find it in the castle ward. Mm-hmm. And then I said, hold on a second. That doesn't sound right. And then when yeah. I started flipping through the 50 books, well, you know, I happened to come across a reference to – to what to this particular god like oh no um no 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 god here yeah <laughs> so it's a bit challenging i'm not gonna it lie is, it is challenging sure yeah but yeah so that's that's kind of my campaign my uh, ultimately the end ultimately I, I foresee the end goal here the end game of this campaign being that they would be high level enough where they would be able to at least try to fight a god right because mm-hmm. all the spell plague stuff happens because of the murder of a god by another god, right? So ultimately, I think what's going to happen here is that they're going to fight that other god and his minions as he's doing his thing, right. which would be a cool and epic way to end a campaign. You know what I mean? How long is your campaign? How long are you expecting it to go? Uh, well, I'm doing a uh, the way I'm leveling them up. I'm I'm sort of going on a fast track. Mm-hmm. Right, I'm not counting experience points. I think I'm done with that forever. You know? Yeah, right. So I'm sort of every few sessions I'm hand waving and I'm saying, oh, by the way, you know, you guys finished this uh, milestone, so let's go. You guys are leveling up. Right. So and we play fairly consistently now. I'm, I'm we're kind of in a in a nice groove. So I don't know a few few more months and and I think we we should be done. Um, I just I really need to sit down and sketch it out and, and plan it out a little better because right now I'm sort of I have the first it's like a movie right I have the first act written mm-hmm. and they're still in the first act I think the first act ends when they listen to Alaundo's prophecy coming out of the out of his skull right mm-hmm. so I got to figure out what the hell I'm going to do for the second act of the movie which mm-hmm. is the toughest act to write because okay now what <laughs> now now well, your setup is done now you got to get to the meat of the bone you know the matter what are you going right. to do well, I'll tell you that if you, as soon as you decide to spend a lot of time fleshing out your knowledge of Waterdeep, the players are going to decide to leave there. Right. <laughs> I'm just, that's exact. that's just what's going to happen. So just well, be ready for it. Well, that's the other thing though, right? Like, the other thing is that I don't want to stay in Waterdeep because I'm mm-hmm. playing in the Forgotten Realms. And in my opinion, and this is just a personal opinion, one of the cool things about playing in a, in a, in a setting like this is you have access to all these places, use them. Right. Right. Exactly. So like I've so like I've sent them I've I've sent them to Shadowdale to meet with Elminster. I've sent them to Candlekeep. I've sent them to Waterdeep. I'm gonna send them to Skullport. There's all these great locations, 
my plan is to use every all the cool locations, right? So like Mithdranor, the old elf, the old uh, elf city, mm-hmm. um, Zentrum, the Zentel's Keep, all these iconic Forgotten Realms places. Might as well put them to good use because yeah, why, right. That's what why it's leave, for. Why leave them sitting in the box? You know what I mean? That, yep. My plan is to visit everything, go everywhere. This is a worldwide. This is. I mean, they're trying to save the world. They might as well have to go. They might as well see it. Yeah, you might as well see the world you're saving. Exactly. Like every part. I think this is going to touch every part of the world because otherwise, if I limit it to the Sword Coast, it doesn't feel big enough for me. You know what I mean? Yep. That's not big. That's Mickey Mouse. I want to be big and 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 use the world that's available to me. So we'll see. I don't know how long it's going to take. I know what my setup is. I know what my ending is like. I just I'm going to have to work on 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 the second act, which is really the bulk of the of the story here. Yeah. And I'm cool. gonna let them I'm gonna let them guide it too. I mean it's their story too, so based on what they give me and where they want to go, that may spark some great, you know, oh I hadn't thought of that. Great, let's go there. Yeah. Absolutely. So this is set so the time you said you're using the second edition realms. Is it time of troubles ish? This is after the Time of Troubles. The after time the of Time of Troubles. Is, the Time of Troubles is the first edition Forgotten Realms. Right? Okay, got it. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry, the Time of Troubles happened. You know that book, Forgotten Realms Adventures, the hardback? With the uh, guy on no. the horse? This is the yeah. hardback, the guy on the horse. Okay, so that book came out in between first and second edition. That's the book that led the Forgotten Realms into second edition. Mm-hmm. And that, would, that details the Time of Troubles and all that stuff. So the, second, the, the Time of Troubles is what led into second edition. Hmm. So this is after the time of troubles. Gotcha. But spell plague and all that nonsense is spell plague happens in spell plague happens between third and fourth. Right. Right. So Neat. basically, what they're basically what they're doing is trying to stop the spell plague from happening. Yeah. <laughs> That's a cool idea. Yeah. Well, because because they've never seen because our minister had never seen he knew what a dragonborn was so like he tells them okay so tell me dragonborn of. How does a man like you end up in this time and place? You know, something because he knew this guy's out of time and place. Right, right. You're so not when supposed he, to be here. When he hears the story of the death, basically what sets Elminster off is the death of Mistra, because mm-hmm. Elminster is the chosen of Mistra. So for him, that's a tragedy, right? Like he's he's really stopping the death of Mistra. He can mm-hmm. right. shit about Dragonborn, you know. So that's that's the point of the of the adventure, of the campaign. Okay, that sounds awesome. awesome. Yeah. Um, so, any any last thoughts? Uh, time was up a few minutes ago, but <laughs> I I gave you an extra three minutes. Oh, thank so, you. I'd, I'd yeah. love to see how you're going to put back that donut, that floating donut in the. Yeah. In the well, so that's the <laughs> other thing about you know about about running sort of a, on the fly or off the cuff is as I had that idea, I haven't really decided how it's going to come back together or if it if it will. I I think I it, I guess the thing is it can. But it's going to depend on what the players do, and I haven't figured out what sort of what they're going to have to do in order to try to attempt that, um, because they're just not that high up yet. You know, they're 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 so low level right now that they have to do some other things first before they even attempt that. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to know how that's going to happen too. <laughs> well, that's just how it works. Too yeah. Bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's and and like I said, you know, I thrive in that kind of. I've just become used to doing that sort of game, 
Um, and it was actually one of my problems with fourth edition is that I had this weird cognitive dissonance because in fourth edition, it was so easy to prep because everything was so balanced and you could easily make a balanced encounter. Um, but because everything was built around set piece battles and set piece, you know, things going right. on and such beautiful minis and maps and all that. I love all that stuff. I'm a geek, right? I love that. But it's really hard to go off the cuff if you have to have every single thing with you and prepped to go anytime there's any kind of conflict. Um, also, it, it was hard to throw random encounters. And, yeah, exactly. It's yeah, really right. hard to do hard. that sort like, of like thing. An, yeah. Like the other day I was running and, and, and I felt I was short, right? Like, oh, I, I have nothing. I'm like, well, let me. Uh, they're camping. They're camping for the night. I'm like, oh, here comes a. Here, you hear footsteps. Here comes a giant. Yeah. <laughs> you can't right. do that in fourth edition. Yeah. Because it would take up your entire session. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, anyway, um, well, thanks, you guys. That was yeah, a very. Thank you. I, that seemed very entertaining. I hope our listeners feel that way too. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. I, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for filling in. Yeah.